Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ashish Nagar, founder and CEO of Level AI, a contact center software platform that's raised $35 million in funding. Ashish, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks, Brad. Nice to chat with you as well. Yeah, so before we get into talking about what you're building, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yeah, so uh, I started the company about three years ago. And before uh, starting Level AI, I was a product manager in Amazon's Alexa team. Did a bunch of things there, including spearheading some of the conversational early conversational AI efforts. And then prior to that, I did a search startup as an early employee and have been doing, you know, uh, technology startup for a few years in the, the Valley, have background in business and engineering, did a, a master's degree from Stanford in business and engineering. So have always worked on the intersection of technology and business. And that's what gets me excited about working on Level AI. So if I have any issues with my Alexa, is it fair to say that? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I can I can also moonlight on Google Assistant TV. You let me know. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll be texting you next time I have an issue. Like, hey, uh, quick question here. <laughs> Perfect. And you know, to start off to another, uh, another fun question, I think, would be, you know, what's the state of conversational AI and what's the state of conversational intelligence today? You know, how would you kind of summarize how things are and how has it evolved over the last five or 10 years? Man, that's a big question. But I would say overall, it's a super exciting time to be in this space. Like at this point, there are new research ideas and new models, like large models being put out every week or every few days, if not every hour. So we are almost in the golden stage of conversational AI as we speak. and this. Renaissance almost started, I would say, three to four years ago, maybe five years ago, but in the last two or three years ago, with these large language models, things have rapidly changed. I feel like still there's a lot to be done, even with all the momentum and new developments and the noise sometimes. Over the next 10 years, there are some really hard problems for machines to solve. For example, you know, for example, being able to read and understand fiction, being able to come up with genuine intelligence being able to understand long dialogue. All of these are hard problems which are still people are working on. But I'm really optimistic over the next 10 years, things, you know, important things will change here. Nice. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. And a couple of questions that we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder. Is there a CEO that you're studying the most now? And if so, you know, who is it? And uh, I'm telling founders now, it can't be Elon Musk. Yeah, that's a good one. So my answer is like equally boring, but I think important. So I've worked with Amazon for a couple of years and I was strongly influenced by how Jeff Bezos runs the company and has been as a founder for the last, you know, two more than two decades. And I could talk a lot about what I've learned from him, but those two years at Amazon were some of my best business education and entrepreneurial education. And if you had to boil it down to maybe, you know, a few lessons that you learned from your time there, what would you say those are? So a couple of things. One is there's a lot about bias for action is one of the key values at Amazon. And that's essentially this idea of, you know, planning, but measuring all teams and all individuals by the impact they create and the speed at which they create that impact. 
And it is easier said than done, but Amazon has like embodies that value in everything they do. And you see that from the multitude of things which they launch. So that's on one on bias for action. The other is the power of small teams and small amount of investment to do big things. So there's this famous two pizza team about Amazon, but I kid you not, like my small team of 15, 20 people, when I initially joined, was servicing a quarter of all of Alexa's conversations around weather, local search, and so on. And it's just incredible to see, and especially in this time, you know, when tech layoffs and bloated organizations are so much being talked about, Amazon is a great counterexample at every scale. So you go in and see like how a small number of people are doing really big things. And I would say the third thing I would, if I can say, like they talk about customer centricity, but how deeply embedded is customer centricity in their value system? So an SVP or a product manager or the lowest level employee can question any decision based on customer centricity. Are we doing the right thing for the customer? And again, it's easier said than done, often with politics and you know, not not looking to step on each other's toes. People don't say the right things. And but at Amazon, if it's customer centric, you should not be scared. And those three things are really critical as an entrepreneur. Like doing more with less, bias for action, and putting the customer first. Nice. I love that. Yeah, I feel like so many companies, you know, talk about being customer first, but as the actual customer, you can rarely feel that. With Amazon, it's the opposite. You can feel that. You know, that's not just some like core value that's hidden somewhere. You know, every time I interact with Amazon, you know, you can tell they really care. And and that's something that they've really, you know, put into action. Yeah. One other thing about Amazon, which and Jeff talks about this a lot. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, AI is changing rapidly. A lot of changes happening in the space, in lots of spaces, right? But one thing which Jeff talks about is ask yourself in your particular space, what will not change in the next 10 years, right? And if, or the next five years, and if you ask that, the business strategy becomes really simple. So for example, for Amazon, it's like, what will not change is prices. People will always want low prices. People will always want to get things delivered fast, no matter what the technology, underlying technology is, right? And if you ask that question as any startup founder or employee or product manager, like it really clarifies your areas of investment. Where should I invest? in things which will always be there as part of my business and where I need to get a competitive advantage. Nice. I love that. And what about books? Is there a specific book that you could say has you know, really influenced how you think as a founder and as a leader? There are a few, the common ones. Like I, I was like this, just this weekend, I was reading Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's very tactical, but there is a book which I... And again, it sounds counterintuitive, but there's a book on leadership in Turbulent Times by historian Doris Kearns Goodwin. She's a historian behind the famous Nixon biography and so on. Her book on leadership was just talked to me a lot. It talks about eight American presidents mm-hmm. and managing through World War II, managing through, you know, in case of Lincoln, how, you know, bringing the country together and so on. And essentially managing, managing through adversity. Mm-hmm. And in a startup, Either you are a 3% company or a 100% company or a 10,000% company, there is adversity every day, every week, every month, right? (laughs) And if you don't have adversity, I would almost say that you are not trying hard enough. (laughs) So, yeah. And so how these people, famous presidents and not so famous presidents, looked at life and created their life and managed adversity, there's a lot of learning for everybody there, especially startup founders. Yeah. 
Nice. I'll have to check that out. I've, I've definitely read Hard Thing About Hard Things a few times. And I think that's one of those books that I just find myself going back to over and over again, but I haven't read the other. Yeah. So excited to yeah. check that out. Sure. And now let's switch gears and talk about Level AI and, and dive in a bit deeper. So what's the story behind the company? And then what's the high level pitch? You know, what do you do for customers? Yeah. So we'll start with the high level pitch. We are a contact center intelligence platform. You know, if you think about Every brand in the world, as you said, every company wants to talk about customer adversity, but you don't. You associate very few brands with actually being customer centric. Let's say Zappos, something old like a few years ago, and now Chewy, Tesla to some extent, Apple to some extent. But now we can have an argument. But if they have great customer service or not, but we can also argue that our you know cable service, you pick whichever one you have, and I pick whichever one I have, has terrible customer service. And in general, they're not putting their customers first, but every brand, every Fortune 500 talks about this. So what Level AI does is we are a contact center intelligence platform. We enables these major companies to actually review and analyze their customer service data at scale, bring insights out of that to feed to different parts of the business, product teams, service teams, operations teams, sales teams, and also improve their customer service performance, improving their quality, improve automating some of the repeat workflows and improving the life and quality of the agents who are actually working on these jobs. We are, don't develop bots. We're not a chatbot or a voice bot company. We're mm-hmm. a customer service intelligence platform. And the way the company came about, I was when I left Alexa, we have a strong hypothesis that automating and enhancing the workflows of frontline workers, mm-hmm. people unlike you and me who have desk jobs, is a massive opportunity that is the largest part of our employment pool. Frontline workers are people like contact center workers, nurses, retail store technicians, and so on. And we started building voice automation capabilities for some of them, and then quickly realized that there's a massive market on the customer service side where there has been not much new innovation in the last five to 10 years. And that's what we're doing on the back of tremendous advancements in AI over the last half a decade. Nice. I love that. And are there any specific market segments where you're seeing the most traction and adoption? So we are focused on both B2B and B2C segments, but within B2C, we see obviously a a very big demand because, you know, as I said, every brand in the world is struggling to differentiate and customer service and customer experience is one of the biggest differentiators. Within that, wherever there is complicated customer experience requirements, let's say financial services, healthcare, insurance, travel to some extent is where, you know, food delivery services in general is where we see the most requirement. Things which are super simple, like very simple retail customer service, of, for example, have uh, fewer needs in these areas. But overall, the market for these technologies is tremendous. You know, it's such a big category within software that we are often surprised how big can this become. And you mentioned category there. How do you think about market categories? Are you trying to carve this out into a totally new category that you're going to brand? Or is this chipping away into an existing category? Or yeah, what are your thoughts there? We think that over a period of time, there will be consolidation in some of these product features. And right now, there are a few product features under which our category our work falls. But over a period of time, it will become customer service intelligence, contact center intelligence. But currently, we do chip away from a lot of existing categories in the customer service space. So, you know, real-time agent assistant, uh, real-time agent coaching is a category. 
workforce optimization or quality management systems as a category, and then conversational analytics is another category which, which we take budget from. But I, we think medium term, these things should consolidate and they should consolidate into some sort of like customer service intelligence or contact center intelligence category. And I saw on your site that there was a, a Forrester report there, a piece of Forrester content. Are you actively working with the analyst firms to try to shape that market category? Exactly, we are. Yeah, we're closely working with uh, with Forrester and Gartner both to learn from them, obviously, and also, as you said, spread the word in the enterprise and broader community on the work we are doing and what is ahead for the space in general. That's interesting. Yeah, I see a lot of founders that I talk to you know, are split on that. Some of them say, you know, I hate Gartner, I hate Forrester, you know, I don't want to go through the analyst firms. And then others say, you know, you can't really go enterprise unless you do it. You know, it's just the way things are. Yeah. So it sounds like you're more in that second camp where you, know, you need Gartner, you need Forrester, and you need those relationships for enterprise. Then we are, as I said, like channeling my inner Jeff. We are not in any camp. We are in the customers' camp, right? So, so the the thing was when our customers told us, like, "Hey, we check out Gartner about these things," they were like, "Sure, if you check out Gartner, then we are in Gartner, <laughs> right?" Like, so that was a simple answer. To be honest, we were increasingly we had customers leaning in on Forrester and Gartner, and that's where we are partnering, and we have a lot of respect for those folks and look forward to successfully partnering with them. Yeah. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. And that's, I think, helpful advice for any uh, any founder considering <laughs> that is, yeah, don't be on either camp, yeah. be for the customer. <laughs> yeah. And in general, like one of the other things is, right, like, oh, are you an AI company or not an AI company? We are in no, we are AI and not AI or whatever it takes to win customers camp, right? <laughs> because there's a lot of noise about, hey, are you, but uh, yeah, I'm sort of digressing here. But that generally is our thinking, yeah. Nice. Makes sense. Yeah. On that note of, you know, just noise, how are you standing out right now with AI? I feel like, you know, 10 times a day I hear about a new startup, you know, how AI is going to change everything. And it it seems like that, that story is just becoming almost commoditized, it seems. So how are you standing out? Like, are you really leaning on your background and the fact that, you know, you come from this space and you've done a lot of work here or how, what are you doing? Great question. So, you know, this is like now we are at the stage when we raise up Series B and so on, and we are well-funded. We have to stand out with customers. We don't and channel partners and people who we uh, do business with, right? So for, for, the, for there to stand out, it's very simple. What problems can be solved for me, which no one has had? And that is where the rubber hits the road on technology. And we are, from a bunch of our unique innovations, 10x better than anything else out there. And so that is frankly simpler on because of the quality and breadth of our product and our deep innovations. To your point about, you know, standing out in, let's say, the investor community or in general, the broader messaging of it, there are a couple of things. I think they're, again, focusing on the specific problems we are able to solve. Number one. Number two, the founder story. I think at least investor, the founder market fit is really important. How that manifests in is that because I saw a lot of what Amazon Alexa was doing at scale with AI, I have a unique sense on which problems to solve, where to invest in, where not to invest in, to be able to, as a small company, to be able to differentiate us. The last thing I would say, honestly, I we are we talk to hundreds of customers every month. You know, the Twitter noise doesn't really impact them. 
what impacts them is again like can you solve my problem which for which i have a hundred thousand dollar budget any better than anybody else whether it uses generative ai or some other ai i don't care often customers don't even know the difference between the two and i'm not saying because they are ill-informed it's just because it's not their job they're so busy solving their business problems right and it's our job to create that magic with any technology possible and to solve it for them now for example to give you a sense we were using generative ai for many years before it became cool and there are many other techniques which we use which you know which um, which to solve customer problems and yeah maybe we should have created a more noise about it but uh, we believe in putting the customer first and you know because yeah. your background as a technologist i would guess you didn't spend a lot of time in marketing but i'm looking through your site you guys have done a very good job in marketing and it, it looks really good so what have you had to change you know internally as a founder to go from you know, a technologist to understanding marketing or at least you know hiring a team and building a team that you know gets marketing because like i said it's really great i appreciate that it's actually a pretty lean effort and what we're trying to do is create content which genuinely helps customers. Again, simple things which can help our customers make better decisions. And then we have a lot of work to do on positioning ourselves as an AI for SaaS product and so on. And we're working on that. But in terms of the change as a founder, I think one of the key elements is constantly reminding ourselves that we have to educate the space, either if you are creating a category or you have a 10x better product, we have to educate the space and put out our message. The onus is on us. And no great technology gets self-discovered and self-launched and self-implemented. Like other than if it's like have massive social effects and so on. So our focus has been on targeted marketing to our customers and creating very useful content. Those are two things which we are pursuing. And it, it's fun to do that because again, it comes very organically because you learn something, you have a great insight, you want to share it with the broader community as opposed to forcing yourself, right? So that has been our approach. Nice. I love that. And going into your more forward-looking of where we see things headed here, I know you have on your site the, the future of customer support at your fingertips. So let's zoom out. Five years from now, what's the future of customer support look like, both for the organization delivering the support and then also for the consumer? What's that consumer experience going to be like? Hopefully better than today. <laughs> No, that's a great point. So a few things which I'm pretty sure of, which is kind of to an earlier point, five years from now, there will still be humans doing a lot of work on the customer side. I, if I had to pick a number somewhere between 50 to 70% of the work would still be done by humans. But and there will be 30 to 40% automation based on the category and so on. And when I say automation, so like let me paint the picture for you. A customer will call in, and being able to really talk to a reasonable voice bot or a chat bot, which with a human-like conversation and not that, not to the, you know, clunky systems we have, IVR systems, IVR systems these days, press on to get to a customer service rep, whatever, right? Have a real conversation. And then as soon as it becomes a business decision, as soon as it becomes a real technology troubleshooting or any other service requirement, there will still be, there will be a human in the loop who, will take the more expert calls. The other piece where I think the demand, the feedback loop will become much faster because AI will be able to pick up insights on what's happening in your, where are customers not happy and so on much faster and much more accurately and act on it, either on your behalf or help the customer teams help on it. 
And then also the accompanying products will be faster because if you have great fast feedback, you can improve your service and product much faster. Those three or four things I can clearly predict. Like one of the things, Brett, which people don't appreciate, even with the rapid changes in AI, which we welcome and we are really, really obviously optimistic about these changes, but people don't appreciate how hard it is to have human dialogue. And I'll give you a quick story to link to the vision. So the team I used to work for at Alexa, the team called Alexa Prize, and our goal is, and still an active team and project, to have a talk to a human on any social topic for 20 minutes, okay? And on any social topic, as if you walk into a bar and you start a conversation with somebody, right? And Alexa right now can do that for less than two minutes, if that. And it's really hard. And that links back to conversation on automating customer service. It's really hard to have human-like conversations. There are so many unsolved science problems in there, AI problems, which need to be worked on. That makes a lot of sense. And that was you know, the next question I was going to have for you is, you know, do you have you know, thoughts or just concerns around this you know, displacing workers? I think that it's you're yeah, very yeah. difficult to talk about AI without the you know, technology critics coming up and saying, you know, okay, well, you know, it's going to put everyone out of work, so what are we going to do? What are your thoughts there, and how do you approach that conversation? I think there will definitely be some displacement, but we have the strong thoughts. So Level AI's vision and our, our motivation is to augment human productivity to make them 10x better. And we think the right balance is, you know, people like you and me and, you know, workers and humans doing the job, but in a 5x more efficient way, 10x more efficient way, 100x more efficient way with AI augmentation. And that's the best synergy in our view, especially in the space we work in, in customer service. In some other spaces like robotics or like just today, there was some news on Amazon replacing, you know, warehouse workers with robots. There will be heterogeneous automation, but tasks where human ingenuity and human creativity is required. Now, some people can argue like with, you know, the with the stuff which we are seeing on generative AI models in imaging, for example, right? With stable diffusion and so on, that the creative tasks are being displaced first. But I think that it's limited. I think it's like limited to some areas. There are a lot of areas where the creative tasks are here to stay for a long period of time. And there their AI will be augmenting human productivity. There might be some pockets where there's larger displacement, but I don't see it as as big a threat as most people make it in the media, to be honest. Well, that would be the first time the media has ever, uh, ever said anything that gets people scared, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so as a consumer, you know, let's zoom out five years from now, am I ever going to have to wait on hold for an hour again? Yeah, that's my example of I was calling United uh, maybe two weeks ago, and I think it was 45 minutes to an hour before I was finally able to get someone on the phone, which, you know, as a customer just seems so insane. Do you think that's going to exist in five years? Or is that going to be something that we tell our kids of, you know, back when we were young, we used to have to sit there for an hour waiting on customer service? No, I'm with you, man. I think that should go away. And if it doesn't, and I think it's going away with leading brands even now, that should go away. There's no reason for that to exist, either with human productivity or without it. There are so much faster, better, elegant ways of handling that traffic and, and servicing customers than that. I think that should definitely go away. And especially for first-order requests, there are so many interesting things which you can do on in terms of voice automation, uh, text automation, and then creating digital self-service loops and things like that, that, that stuff should go away. 
And I'm surprised that United hasn't even done that yet. One of the other underlying things which we see, and I'm sure your other guests have talked about this, the underlying IT infrastructure, right? In a lot of these places, so to give you a sense in the contact center space, and you'll be, you might be surprised hearing this, in the customer service or contact center space, even now, more than 75% of all contact centers are run on on-premise systems, which is they're not on cloud, which means that when a phone call goes in, there is a physical PBX system which is routing those phone calls as opposed to a cloud telephony system which is routing phone calls in a cloud environment, right? What does that mean for your question? It means that, you know, in a cloud environment, you can have a very simple interconnectivity with AI, with very different things and newest technology. But with brands and companies who don't have that, they're struggling to modernize their customer service stack, right? And that's where, you know, you can see some of the laggard experiences, yeah. And why do you think that is that they're so slow to adopt? It feels like, you know, every industry has moved to the cloud, or at least that's what it feels like from what you read. You know, why is this space so slow? That's a good point, because things are changing rapidly. And you'll see that in the growth of companies like Five9, Twilio, uh, and Genesis, and so on. But I think it's a combination of that inertia and just the weight of changing and uprooting these highly complex systems. When, you know, complexity is keeping your lights on, so you, you, it's not as if you can't take calls anymore, it's keeping your lights on, but it just doesn't make you ready for the modern customer, right? So in boardrooms and CIO rooms and, and customer service executive conversations, that changes rapidly happening, but clearly such a large market, it's still not fast enough, yeah. And yeah, you, you'll be amazed, and I'm sure you'll see that, the amount of work it takes to have a digital transformation effort like that is it's ridiculously big and it takes five years or three years sometimes to replace some, some of this stuff, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I think from the outside, it always seems so easy, right? So you just you know, digitally transform and you're good to go. But the reality is that's a, it's a big undertaking and it always, I'm guessing, takes a lot longer and is more expensive than anyone anticipates. Yeah, 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 yeah. And everyone, no one in the ecosystem is incentivized to make it faster and cheaper. Everyone wants like a their slice of the pie and add their value and kind of so it goes. <laughs> Makes okay. a lot of sense. And you know, on the conversational AI point here, you know, what excites you most? You know, are there any specific developments? Not talking about what you're doing as a company, but just the technology yeah. in general. What excites you the most about what's ahead? Man, there are so many things. So I do think like this whole thing about generative AI, about which when case of conversational systems. It's a machine's ability to create language, right? Machine's ability to write stuff or and create prose or create content. That's very exciting. And that's one area. The other, the, there are a lot of unsolved problems here. How do you, like in our conversation, for example, Brett, it's very simple, right? We talked for about 25, 30 minutes. No AI system can absorb this conversation and can actually have complete memory of you know what happened here from a perspective of, you know, modeling this conversation or be an active participant in this conversation given whatever else has happened in the past, right? So being able to model conversations and mimic human dialogue over a long range, not in short one, two instances, but over a long range is a very interesting problem, which really excites me and we'll see what happens there. And the other thing, which is, is an unsolved problem is, you know, reasoning itself. And what I mean by that is, 
these language models and all the stuff which is coming out, they don't have their own reasoning. Like they look at data, like billions of data points in some cases, but they are not like humans do learning about cross-disciplinary things or having intelligence about cross-disciplinary things. That is a very interesting area. So I would say those three things, the generative stuff, modeling conversation more broadly and bringing intelligence like cross-disciplinary intelligence and reasoning more broadly, that'll be really cool. And I'm sorry if I'm going towards the geeky end of this. (laughs) (laughs) That's our audience. They like the geeky stuff. So uh, they they appreciate that. and, And I do too. Last question here for you. So I know we talked about the future of customer support, but if we talk about the future of level AI, you know, if we zoom out five years from now, what's that big picture vision for the company? That's a great point. So the answer is sort of in one of the questions you asked about, our vision is we want to augment human productivity, starting with the contact center for tens of millions of Americans to begin with. Right? And what does that look like? So using AI to automate, analyze, and improve enterprise workflows, starting with the customer service function because customer service is the largest store of unstructured data within the enterprise. And then look at other functions where we think there's a massive opportunity for these capabilities. And if we look back in five years, we would have influenced, you know, hopefully a few million lives and made them happier, more productive, and more fulfilling with our technology and you know what's not to like with that you know because you know just in customer service alone brett there are mm-hmm. five million americans who work in customer service five million wow I you not right so if you can improve their quality of life by 20 percent, 30 percent, 50 percent, that's very motivating for all of us working on this mission and that's what we are look forward to do and and as a result improve these brands and improve these businesses to sell more, to service their customer better, creating overall happiness, that's what motivates us. And eliminating the the 45-minute hold times with United. Please. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's at the top. (laughs) Someone from United is listening, you know who to reach out to. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, unfortunately, we're up on time. So before we wrap here, if people want to follow along with your journey as you build this company out and make this vision into a reality, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, we are on Twitter at the level uh, AI and on LinkedIn at level AI, or just go to our website, thelevel.ai. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. This has really been one of my favorite conversations so far. So, really appreciate it and look forward to keeping in touch and wish you the best of luck. Thanks, Bert. Take care.